Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? God, we ask that you would speak to us uh, through your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, our God and King. Amen. The story is told that there was a young black preacher who was asked to teach a seminary course. Uh, the students knew very little about this new professor that they had, and the students, like most seminary students do, complained about the professor. Uh, and um, he was a tough grader, I believe. He didn't give out A's and E pluses to the students that deserved that their work was better. The semester ended. The students were relieved that the class that they were taking was finally came to an end. And some of them um, got their papers back and the professor wrote all over them, uh, you know. Good point, you've gotten those papers right from their professors, right? Good point, like, you know, you need to illustrate more. Um, there was ink shed over those papers and the students were glad the thing was over and they took their papers and a good majority of them just threw it out. Anybody store papers from, some, from school? There's one, Pastor Joanne, you all can talk to her later. If you want to create a support group for her, that would be a good time. So anyway, some of them kind of hung on to them accidentally, uh, not for any reason. And as a couple of years went by, the seminary professor who taught them started showing up on TV. His name was Martin Luther King Jr. That was the only course he ever taught. And then all those seminary students wanted to get together and they got together regularly to talk about how amazing it was <laughs> to have Martin Luther King as their professor. I, can you imagine that? Greatness, you're in the presence of greatness and you don't even know it. I, and this ha happens to other people as well, like, you know, artists. If you think about any artist that ever made it big, whether it be the Beatles or Taylor Swift or whoever, right? They all started out small, right? I was watching a couple of videos with my daughter, who's Annika. She loves Taylor Swift. And, uh, like, Taylor Swift was singing in some dingy bars in Tennessee as a 13, 14-year-old girl, right? And all of a sudden, she became big. Humble beginnings. Humble beginnings. And the Gospel of Mark... Uh, this is the gospel that we've been reading. We're going to read it all the way through Easter. We started in chapter 1. It has a very similar take on the ministry of Jesus. When you start reading the gospel of Mark, Jesus starts out really small. He stands up and he preaches in a synagogue. And then slowly he moves into a house. And Jesus took a very familiar journey as well. Here is some of the uh, picture I want to show you about the place where Jesus would have traveled. This is this map is the map of uh, the ancient Near East where when Jesus was walking on the face of the earth, this is how it would look like. And Jesus, uh, as many of you know, was from Nazareth. If you can go to the next slide, this is up north. You can see Nazareth right there. Uh, that's where Jesus grew up. You know, he was from Nazareth. And then we read that he had moved to a place called Capernaum. Uh, and it's right by the Sea of Galilee. It's on the shore there. 
And last week, Pastor Joanne spoke to us about that Jesus spoke with authority. He was in the synagogue in the small town that bordered the Sea of Galilee, and he spoke with authority. And then he went to a house, and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then this is what we read afterwards. This is what we read from Mark chapter 1, verse 38. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For this is why I have come. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So this is the region of Galilee that Jesus would have been part of. Uh, that red circle that's there. If you can go to the next slide, Matt. That would be the region of Galilee where Jesus, he starts out in a synagogue in Capernaum, then to a house, and then he moves in that area, and he's preaching and teaching people about what it means for us. The, one of the things that the Gospel of Mark does is he doesn't necessarily tell us what Jesus is teaching. He just says that te Jesus taught, but we don't know what the content of the material was, but I think we need to be reminded uh, of Mark chapter 1, verse 15. That kind of becomes the key verse for us. This is what Jesus said to um, the people who were listening to his teaching. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. The good news of the gospel is what Jesus was preaching about. Repent and believe that Jesus is the Messiah traveling through this region of Galilee, and now Jesus comes back to the city of Capernaum. The city uh, becomes a central place, almost like a headquarters for Jesus' ministry. A lot of things take place in this area, in the region of Galilee and in this town. This is what we read in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at a home. Many gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word. Now this crowd start coming to Jesus. Whenever Jesus is preaching, there are huge crowds that come. The good news that started out in a synagogue to a house, and now this to the region of Galilee, and now this house. And there are people who are completely filling the place. They're there. People are sitting outside, eager to hear what Jesus would teach them, eager to hear Jesus' sermon. Here's the crazy part about this story, and I wish Mark included some of this information. I would, be, I would have been thrilled personally. You know, when Jesus was preaching in this house, Mark does not tell us who owns this house. He just says that Jesus is at some home. And then we don't know quite the reaction of the homeowner of what's going to take place. How did this homeowner react when certain things were done to his house? Did he call Andrea Fulginetti for an insurance claim? <laughs> right? How did this take place? I would have loved to have seen those stories. But here's what takes place. Here is what takes place. There is a paralyzed man in the same town that Jesus is preaching. He's preaching the gospel, and there is a man who's paralyzed. His, and his friends hear about Jesus' teaching. 
They know where Jesus is. And these friends get together. And they say, hey, we need to take our buddy over to Jesus. We got to make sure that he somehow meets Jesus. And these friends carry him. They carry him all the way to where Jesus was. And the crowd is overflowing with people. There's no way for them to get into the house. So they go up to the roof. They tear open the roof. And they lower the man before Jesus. This is how most of the homes would have looked like uh, in, uh, during the time of Jesus. The bottom floor would have been the place where uh, all your animals would have been stored. And the, the second floor is where people would have lived. Um, and then there would have been a roof on top of it. It all depended on how rich or how poor each of the families were. But that's typically the architecture of that. Um, if you can go to the next slide. This is how it would have looked like uh, in some ways. There would have been stairs that would go up to the roof. Uh, and there would have been two levels uh, for each house. So they go up the roof and they tear open the roof that's there. They tear open the roof and they lowered the man to Jesus. And there is no mention of how the homeowner reacted to all this. But there is mention about how Jesus reacted to this. Jesus looks and this is what we read verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith of the friends. He said to the paralytic man. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees the actions of the friends. And says to the man who was paralyzed. Your sins are forgiven. Friends this morning. Here is the application. Here is a so what. I would like us to consider this morning. The man who needed Jesus the most. Was paralyzed. No amount of willpower could have got this paralyzed man from where he was to where Jesus was. He needed to be in Jesus' presence. Now consider this. The friends knew Jesus. They must have heard about Jesus' teaching. They must have heard about what Jesus was doing. Last week, Pastor Joran reminded us that Jesus taught with authority and cast out demons. These friends must have heard about Jesus. And they thought, if only our buddy encounters Jesus, it's going to be good. The friends had a conviction in their heart that their paralyzed friend needed Jesus. My question for us to consider this morning is which of your friends needs Jesus? Can you picture someone in your heart and say, this person needs Jesus in their life? Here's the challenge. Are you willing to carry your friend Who's in need of Jesus. So that they can care, encounter Jesus. What does it look like for us to carry Jesus? It looks like praying for that individual. It looks like carrying them to the throne of God. And saying God have mercy on my friend. He needs you. She needs you. 
It looks like having the courage, courage to say to our friend, hey, I want to give to you a Bible. This book has changed my life and I would love for you to read it. Or saying to your friend, hey, at church, we're reading through the Gospel of Mark. I would love for you to read the Gospel of Mark so that we can talk about what you're learning about Jesus. Maybe it looks like you inviting your friend to come to church so that they can encounter Jesus for themselves. Recently, I was reminded um, that C.S. Lewis, um, the author of Chronicles of Narnia, he was a, an excellent Christian philosopher. This is what he writes. He writes that everyone gets hungry and we need to eat. Each one of us gets thirsty and we need to drink. And he goes on to say that each one of us has an inconsolable longing for the divine. Each one of us has an inconsolable longing for the divine and can only be met by believing in Jesus. As human beings, we have a God-sized hole in our souls that only Jesus can fill. Friends, this morning, let me remind you, the friend that you're thinking about has an inconsolable longing for the divine. And only God can meet that longing. May you carry your friend to Christ so that Jesus can look at you and say, I see your faith and your friend's inconsolable longing is met. Going back to the gospel story that uh, we've been talking about, there's a game of cat and mouse that's being kind of plain and, uh, played out in front of us in Mark chapter 2. Mark is weaving Jesus' identity all through, and it's not quite fully revealed. Jesus begins his ministry as a teacher. He's teaching people, and then slowly we are told that Jesus does one more thing. He casts out demons, and then we are told that Jesus heals people. And this morning we are told that Jesus forgave someone's sins. And there were people that heard what Jesus said and they were wondering, who is this guy? And how does he have the authority to forgive somebody else's sin? Who can forgive sins except for God? What is powerful here is Jesus is aware of the thoughts of the people who are in that room. And Jesus addresses their concern. Jesus does not say that he is God. But rather, he says, which is easier, to heal a person or to forgive sins? Jesus doesn't reveal himself that he has come into this world to forgive our sins. So the, the relationship in God and humanity is restored. He simply poses the question, which is easier, to heal the paralytic man or to forgive? So as readers of the gospel, we are made to wonder who this man is, who this Jesus is, who teaches with authority, who casts out demons. Who is this man who is able to heal the sick? And now we hear that he has the power to forgive sins. May we be aware of Jesus' identity. It's not quite revealed yet in the Gospel of Mark. And if you've never heard the story of Jesus, 
there's a little bit of a cliffhanger for you. We're all wondering who this Jesus is. And we move through the story as we go through it. In picking up in verse 15. This is a strange story. I have a lot of questions when I read this story. And I'm going to pose them to you. And I'm hoping that we will wonder together. Here is what we read took place. As Jesus reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him and the scribes and the Pharisees. When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Here's an interesting part about the story of Jesus here. See, whenever we read the story of Jesus, especially in the Gospels, and we read the names Pharisees and scribes, immediately we tend to put them as bad guys. Just hang with me for a minute. Don't make them the bad guys. Because what the Pharisees and scribes were doing is exactly what Jesus was doing early on in ministry. See, the scribes and Pharisees, they were the intellectuals of their time. What they did was this. They would read the Old Testament. They would read the Old Testament and try to understand what it means for them right now. Similar to how we read the scriptures on a daily basis. So that's what the scribes did. And if you look at what Jesus was doing up to this point, it's exactly the same thing. The, what the scribes and Pharisees were doing is what Jesus was doing. He was reading the Old Testament scripture and he was teaching them what it meant. He was interpreting the Old Testament scriptures. When I think about scribes and Pharisees, I think of them as perpetual seminary students. You know, those guys who always want to argue with you, who always want to say, but have you considered this? I think Jesus would have had a lot of fun with these guys, don't you think? Like arguing back and forth. And as always a good seminary student, you always want to have the last word. I'm sure they gave some lame argument to whatever Jesus said. And they went back and forth. He would have been, he would have been in good company. Spending time with perpetual seminary students, the scribes and the Pharisees. But no, Jesus does something different. He's spending time with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were the most hated people in the land. They, tax collectors actually exploited the poor Israeli citizens, the Jewish people. And they took money from them and then gave money back to the Roman government. They oppressed their own people. They were hated by everybody around. And here Jesus is hanging out with them. And another thing that, I, that stands out to me, and this is a question for us to consider, ponder, and if you have a good answer, please email me. How did they know who the sinners were? Any idea? He was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Right? Did the sinners wear a certain draft? Like, like, what did they do? How did they know they were sinners? 
right? Like, what did, what did they do? How did they get labeled to be sinners? How were they able to recognize? I can recognize the tax collectors. He came to my house and took money from me. I get it. But what about the sinners? I would like us to focus on the actions of Jesus here. Jesus is breaking bread, eating and drinking with sinners with people that did not have anything in common with them. He was with people who were hated by his peers and his community. He was with sinners, meaning that these individuals, by their actions and their attitudes, did not do what was right by God. These people, that these sinners... Clearly, they were not the people that we read in chapter 1 when people left Jerusalem and all over the region of Judea and went into the wilderness to repent of their sin when John was baptizing. No! These guys were like, hey, I'm good. I'm a sinner. I'm going to hang out here, do my thing. And yet Jesus is sitting with them. Jesus is sitting with them. Here is a so what that I would like us to consider. I think Jesus did something extraordinary here. He did something holy. Even though there was no one around who was like Jesus, yet he went and sat with those who were different from him. He sat with the other the tax collectors and the sinners. The tax collectors and the sinners where your mom and my mom would have warned us about, saying, don't hang out with those people because nothing good's going to come out of it. Have you ever heard that from your parents, right? I've heard that a lot. And yet Jesus goes and sits with them. And here is a challenge I would like us to consider. Here is what I would like you to think about. In your mind's eye, who do you look down upon? In your mind's eye, who do you consider to be a tax collector and a sinner? Someone who's hated by the larger community. You can say, no way I'm going to be friends with that guy. Friends, our culture is becoming more and more siloed. We are moving into spaces where we are constantly seek to be affirmed and not necessarily challenged. It would have been easy for Jesus just to be with the scribes and the Pharisees. As we were told in the earlier story. But yet Jesus walked over and broke bread with the tax collectors and the sinners. When we say we follow Jesus, we need to follow Jesus' example and be with people who are different from us. This is how we are called to act as Christians. I want to share this story with you about how I witnessed something very similar in my life. This story that I'm sharing is a defining moment in my own spiritual journey. I was in my early 20s. I was living in Pittsburgh and a buddy of mine, I was supposed to go to Maryland, and a buddy of mine asked me to stay with some of his friends. I had never met these individuals, and I went to their house, and they were very gracious to me. 
They were all around my age, or a couple of years older, and they had a Bible study in their house. And I was welcomed um, by the host, and we kind of sat around, and we were talking. And during the course of the conversation, during this Bible study, I had said something extremely ignorant and arrogant. And the minute I said it, I knew my statement was not well received by those who were around me. I just knew it in that moment. I knew just because of the way the group dynamics has shifted that they didn't view the world the way I did. And the host looked at me and said, Johnson, we don't see the world the way you see it. The way you've described it. And here's what happened next. The whole group had a smile and they sat with me and they wanted to hear more from me. They could have very easily given me the cold shoulder and walked away or ended their meeting early on some pretense. But yet they sat with me and they talked. Friends, that's what it means to follow Jesus. In a very real way, they walked across. These friends that I was with, they walked across and they sat with me and they broke bread with me. And that is what we are called to do. We are called to walk like Jesus walked. This morning in your bulletins, when you came over, there was a post-it note that was stuck in, in the interior portions of your bulletin. This is what I would like us to do. I want you on this post-it note to write a name of a friend that might need Jesus in their life, that you know. Somebody that I was, as we were talking about, somebody that you thought of, that you would write their name and that you would use this post-it to stick it on a dresser or your car or in your Bible, wherever it may be, that you would be, have opportunities to pray for them. On the same post-it note, I would like you to consider writing somebody that you feel like, I don't want to walk over. I don't want to break bread with them. There's somebody like that. There's a group like that that you are considering. I would like you to write that as well. So that we can be more like Christ. As the band comes forward, um, and we take our offering, I would like you to hold this paper during the next song and just spend a moment in prayer. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your spirit convicts us, your spirit leads us and guides us. God, we ask that you would give us the strength to carry our friends to your throne of grace. God, I would ask that you would give us the strength to walk over, to break bread with those who are different from us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. At this time, we worship our God with our tithes and our offerings.